Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 543 on Tuesday, the 19th of September, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where more mainstream press publishes items you've got to hear about from us in Chuck's Notes, oh, July 2022, we'll be looking up the definition of hubris and what the German translation is. In New New Car News, we check if the Halford accessory aisle was credited for the design of one car. And in points of interest, we applaud the amazing Mazda PR team. And we leap straight into the news. Mm. And this is off the back of yesterday and SMMT having a big event talking about electric cars and the future of the industry. During this, they made it very clear they requested government help. Mm -hmm. They want to reduce the VAT on new EV sales. They wanted mandated targets for charge point rollout. They wanted to raise the threshold for the vehicle excise duty expensive car supplement, i.e. the luxury tax. Yes. uh, And cut VAT on public charging to 5% in line with home charging. Yes. Those seem reasonable to me. I think it undermines the suspicion we had last week in talking about new car registration figures and private buyers, because this is aimed at getting private buyers to buy more. Yeah. Now, remember, last month was the month before the registration number change. I think we'll have a better, more balanced view with the September figures than maybe we did with the August ones. But these are some of these things we've been, we've been wittering about for a while now. Yes. Just this kind of stuff. Uh, one of the interesting things, I think, about the SMMT Electrified event is that it actually gave the SMMT a chance to show journalists, n- non-motoring journalists, and some politicians what a car looks like. <laughs> and this is an electric car. Let me tell you about an electric car. <laughs> and explain and show them and sit them inside and, and all these other things. Vehicles that are out there and available for people to buy and then to try to explain everything that surrounds it really mm. and it, they do seem to have sort of pinned people down for more than just 10 minutes to give a speech and sod off again yes but at least give a speech sod off again have photo their photo taken beside one of these electric cars <laughs> yeah it, it doesn't help that the cars have been dragged into the culture wars i'm a little bit torn with this one mm. because they're asking for more financial help, which, like I said, we, we talked about last week and we suspected this was coming, mm. particularly as the who knows exactly what the rules are zero emission mandate that's in, oh, checks calendar, 104 days now as of time of recording, that still mm-hmm. nobody knows what the rules are. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the kind of thing that, by the way, is you know getting that stuff sorted out, the fundamentals behind it will mean that the manufacturers can plan for these things. So if they can plan for them, then the costs come down because there's more certainty about what the costs are going to be in the future. And that starts to help the consumer as well. But, you know, (laughs) there's the fun in that. Yeah. Because the price of cars, if someone is going for an electric car now, you're 30 grand and upwards. Really? Okay, there's... Hmm. There's a, there's a couple of models that are, are, are not that before anyone asks me. I understand that. But generally, for most vehicles, it is 30 grand and upwards, as we'll see when we get to new new car news. Yeah, we'll start with one that says starts from only 32,400 or something, I think it is. And it's a perfectly reasonable car. A, a long time with ICE cars, internal mm. combustion engine cars, that are not priced there. Or if you got to 30 grand, you are going up a market. Oh, easily. You used to be into the executive market going upwards. Yeah, you, I was going to say you're into an executive car of the same size instead of what has traditionally been considered one of the more budget mm. brands of that size. And that's very hard for people to get their head around. Yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult. Um, you can see that any time car costs are mentioned. Oh, yeah. And people say, oh, you're mad to buy something new. And you sort of go, well, if you don't, if nobody buys anything new, then we've got nothing secondhand to have. Oh, that argument. Oh, I hate that. I only buy used cars. I'm not going to buy anything until depreciation set in. Well, some sod's going to go out there and buy it. Yes. They've got to buy the interesting car at the high price first. 
and then you can buy the large French car later. Yes. I really, sorry, that really bugs me. At that point, if you're a private buyer, you are in the more wealthier end of things. Hmm. Because you're looking at, well, as we saw when we discussed a few weeks ago, one particular brand, £450 a month. You know, that's yeah. that's yeah, not yeah. for everybody. No. And yes, also, by the way, before anybody gets in touch, I do realise you could hunt around and do pre-reg and you can get nearly new and they are significantly less, which adds more to the problem. Mm. Again, we will cover this when we get into stories later down the line yeah. about how, how much they're depreciating. Uh, it's, it, it's a real mess. There's the cost mm. of living crisis. SMMT can see this coming, so they're getting ahead of the game. They also know with the zero emission mandate, if it sticks at the 22% or 24%, whatever it was, 22%, isn't it? Or that's what we think. Then they're going to struggle to hit that. Or many car manufacturers are going to struggle to hit that. I think Tesla will just about be okay. Uh, (laughs) They are trying to get ahead of the game and try and uh, get government support for what they have mandated in. Yeah, agreed. But let's talk about part of the challenge here as well. Because part of the challenge isn't just that new EVs are expensive. It's new EVs from brands we know and recognize and trust and love that are expensive. But you can buy another EV, which is very, very similar, but not recognized, which is significantly cheaper. Mm. And those obviously tend to come from China. And so the EU has started to investigate whether lower price Chinese electric vehicles are distorting the car market, according to Nick Gibbs in Autocar. And are they being government subsidized and all sorts of stuff like that? And is that threatening the livelihood of European car makers? Good for the European Commission to catch up on what we said. So obviously they've been listening to us harp on about this for at least a year, if not more. Uh, we have, yeah, yeah, easily. Sorry, blowing our own trumpet a little bit this week. I do apologize, but I'm a bit cross with people coming in as though they're actual experts and suddenly come across a story. Sorry. What's triggered this, of course, is lots of people who are, when I say other journalists, I mean stuff like the finance journalists and all these people who all of a sudden are like, oh, look at this story. And some of us have been sitting in our living rooms talking about it for some time and going, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's a big deal. It goes back to the EU mandating uh, electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. However, not putting any provision in for the homegrown market or homegrown industries, so across all the countries, in how they're going to support this transition, in how they're going to support the workers of the transition, because as we are seeing, people are being laid off, factories are being shut, new factories are being built in other areas. Mm -hmm. It was and is inevitable and should have been spotted. And I think yeah, part of this is the these politicians who are the same ones who brought this in because we haven't gone that far down from mandating this hmm. have suddenly realised they need to turn round and to tell millions of car industry related workers we're very sorry we potentially lost you your jobs and income because we made a decision and didn't do anything to help it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But equally, I have zero sympathy for the European car industry because of the way they leapt to China to exploit cheap labor Yeah, all those decades ago and how they were told that this was an inevitable thing. Uh, and what they've done is they've educated and taught the Chinese how to make cars to Western standards. And they are now exceeding that and doing it cheaper. Well done, lads. The Chinese government has hit back at the, at the EU for this, calling the investigation a naked protectionist act. Well, yeah, it is. Which is, it is. And what's going to happen if they, if they go down this line and if they do find or choose to report that they find government subsidies, yeah. then what happens? What does Europe do at that point? If they put any tariffs on or any kind of impact, then China goes, great. How long are you going to sit waiting for car batteries? Because all of a sudden, we've decided to ban exporting to Europe. Yeah, or to put massive prices on that. Yeah. Oh, are you a, are you a European car manufacturer over here? Oh, dear. Terribly sorry, but your factory's now shut. Yeah. Goodness me. Another safety investigation. What a surprise. There is one point, actually, in the BBC article, 
and not the article I'd originally opened, which showed me three paragraphs, which is why I was quite so quiet on the matter, that, that says that some of the industry are worried that if the EU starts to apply punitive tariffs, then China's export drive could be partly refocused on the UK. Hooray, UK car industry. Yeah. Hmm. There are very obvious and very visible consequences to decisions that are being made that nobody who is making those decisions appears to have thought through. Agreed. Can I say one other thing, which is slightly aside, which is pointed out here, and it just kind of dawned on me as I was rereading this article. The interesting things was that <laughs> this BBC article says, a friendly man from the Chinese firm BYD shows me the Atto. <laughs> We're really proud of this car, said Mark Blundell. So nobody's heard of him, obviously. It's new to the market, packed full of technology. But then he goes on, and it goes, and this, this goes along with something that, that people who work in the Chinese car market live in China have said numerous times on Twitter, that lots of this is about the interior mm. and about what a nice place it is to be. And it just goes on here. And this is obviously the thing that was picked up on, which is that the car's interior is inspired by a gym. It has a heat pump as standard, vegan leather, as if there's no idea what a heat pump is. Vegan leather strings the doormark poppets tight enough to get get a tune out of the display screen. The dashboard rotates the press button. Those are the things that people notice. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that matter. I got in trouble for saying that normals didn't know what a defender was when it was practically out of context on, on Twitter yesterday, and I, I disagree. I disagree with that and pointed out it looked more like an antivirus advert, and that people wouldn't relate that to a Land Rover which is what they think of it as. Mm-hmm. But this kind of ties in with that, and it says, look, look, these are all these interior features, all these comfort features, all these cool things, which is what impress most people when they go look at a car. Yeah, They don't care if there's a slightly scratchy piece of plastic in the boot. What they do, you know, or at some the bottom, plastic underneath, somewhere, underneath down, yeah, the, somewhere yeah. down around your ankles. What they care about is that, hey, this is cool. It's inspired by a gym. This is nice. Look at the materials yeah. that are right in front of them. And that's what matters, and that, that's where this market is going to be won. Believe it or not, driving dynamics, and not even not to frickin' 60 times, oh, by the way, which is just sickening and annoying in family hatchbags, this is going to be won by strings on the doormat pockets tight enough to get a tune out of. Mm. Quote, unquote. Yep. Anyway, I shall, shall I step down from my, my soapbox? No, you're, you're absolutely bob on. But uh, I will move us on because I realise we have prattled on a bit in these first two stories. Yeah. I'm going to move us on to Wales. Oh, dear. Oh, God. Contentious again. Here we go. I mean, we've started off with some crackers, haven't we, this week? Slowly. <laughs> yeah, slowly. Uh, and this is the news that obviously Wales has begun the 20 mile an hour in urban and built up areas. That's the maximum speed limit. But there is warnings from several SatNav companies to say, oh, don't trust your sat-nav just yet because you'll need to update it. We'll need to update the maps. Therefore, you need to be paying attention to the road signs and not just what your uh, screen or dashboard tells you. I think we can go with that with all screens and dashboards, regardless hmm. of where you are anyway. But that's just a, for a moment there, we're going to pretend to be consumer advice people hmm. uh, and let you know that one. But also in the links, because I've seen so much prattling on about how bad this 20 mile an hour thing is in Wales. Hmm. There is a, a link to the map that shows you how many roads are actually being changed to 20 mile an hour. And you will notice... It's not all of Wales. There isn't... Well, first of all, yeah, you, with some, out, some outlets, you'd think the entirety of Wales was now 20 mile an hour, including the A55. But equally, there is an absolute sackload of villages across Wales that aren't being transformed to 20 mile an hour in this thing there is a key down the side where you can or a filter where you can change what is being shown Mm. by default it's got in red roads which could retain a 30 mile an hour speed limit this is the exceptions that we talked about when we were discussing this story that the welsh government deliberately put in they said if the council come back to us and say no this one we feel should stay 30 and here are the reasonings we will look at it and then go yeah that's fine or no it still needs to be 20 and it appears there are several i mean i'm just looking across north wales there are several where that looks like it's going to be done and when i see where those roads are 
I can see the sense because they are really straight, really wide. There is good pedestrian provision. In, so I can see at least three that there's really good pedestrian provision out the way from the roads. So it seems like, not that you would know this if you read the mainstream news, there has been some yeah. sense applied to this. Can I say another thing? So there's the layers on this on this map. Mm. By default, it goes on and it's and it shows roads which could and which will stay at 30 miles an hour. If you go down to the 20 mile an hour roads, that's a folder as well. You can expand that. Only the bottom option from the sort of four options you'll get if you've once you've expanded those two folders mm-hmm. is the roads that will become 20 miles an hour. They are almost all in built up urban areas. There's another layer of roads that could become 20 yeah. mile an hour, and that's a that's another slice. The difference here is negligible. The thing you've got to ask yourself is, would I be driving more than 20 miles an hour on those bits of road anyway? Because very often this is, I mean, this is lots of South Wales, which is is mostly Cardiff, which is you know well known for its easy free flowing traffic, hmm. and Swansea and these and uh, Port Talbot and all these sorts of areas down the bottom there. The other thing here is that I don't get why people are going to make such a big fuss about this, because most of Corby was always 20 miles an hour, and it really didn't make a big deal, really yeah. didn't make a big difference, but it was built up urban area, and you didn't feel you should be going much much quicker. But like I'm looking in North Wales, uh, where I grew up, and there's virtually no 30 mile an hours, uh, 20 mile an hours being installed. In most of the places I would go, and as Alan says, they're tiny little villages that you aren't actually screaming through anyway. Yeah. One other thing I was going to say. Oh, and that's that. You know, actually, in other places, around about twenty miles an hour is, is a pretty normal urban speed limit. I mean, around certainly all around here in Massachusetts, it's if you're in a town, it, it's a notional twenty-five mile an hour speed limit. It, does it make any difference? No, not really. You just drive to it. Well, there's one potential way that we could slow people down even further, Alan. We could leave massive great holes in the road, Andrew. Well, I think they've been trying that, haven't they? They have been. The RAC has revealed that the length of road being resurfaced or otherwise improved in the UK has fallen to its lowest point in five years. That must be because everything has been improved as far as it can be improved. (coughs) Yeah, no. Okay. 153 road authorities were sampled by the Department of Transport. 31% of those 153 didn't carry out any resurfacing work in 21-22, while 51% didn't carry out any surface dressing work, wherein the lifespan of the road is extended without the need for full resurfacing, but the lifespan of your car's paintwork is diminished significantly. Surface dressing is down to 2017-2018 levels by 34%. They're not repairing the roads. This surprises no one, I think. Anyone who's actually been on any road in the UK recently as in the last Mm. six months we'll go how what a shocking state they're all in and we've all got war stories to share yeah there is a quotation from rec's head of policy simon williams says while the government has made more money available to authorities to fill potholes it's the general reduction in road improvement work that's causing potholes to appear in the first place by the way councils found to resurface the highest proportion of the roads were kent freshening up 20 miles of its 502-mile A-road network. That's probably all built around places to store trucks. Yes. <laughs> South End and Sea at 21 miles. Sea similar. Uh, Lincolnshire surface-dressed most of its A-roads at 50 miles out of 661. So commiserations, people who like their car paint work, of Lincolnshire. Okay, I'm going to stick with the UK, and this time it's from the Transport Committee of Parliament. Hmm. And they have released a report urging the government to clarify um, the self-driving vehicle laws. So, Andrew, can you just read out the title of this article, please, in full? Legislation needed to continue Great British success story of self-driving vehicles. (laughs) I'm not in Parliament, so I can say that politicians are lying, can't I? This is ridiculous. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Someone can sample that one, I think. <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. What they are saying is that the definition of safe, one of the big things they're saying is one of the definition of safe is far too weak and far too vague. Yeah. And that's pretty much a quote, by the way. Yeah. They've also 
asked them to tighten up about cybersecurity, roadworthiness, and legal liability. Liability is coming out more and more. Mm. As we have seen when we've covered the level three vehicles, Alan's just breaking his fingers, air quoting there, and how those, uh, those systems demand that the human does something that humans cannot do, so therefore mm. being set up to fail. But they're demanding this tightened up about the, the wording about that. And also yep. they want clarification on what sort of infrastructure hmm. is required to enable the safe deployment of autonomous vehicles. I like it because it starts, self-driving vehicles will need well-maintained roads, an issue many road users already feel should be a high priority, following straight on from our last story. It's almost yep. as if there's been a production value put into this. But just to circle back to the great British success story, mm. no. They're pivoting. They're pivoting, deploying their, the systems that they all proclaimed were super safe and wonderful and brilliant, mm. going to be on the public roads anytime now. They've all backpedaled and are doing these on industrial areas where we don't get to see those reports. Yes, HSC exactly. will get to they, see those they, reports because it yes. will be an industrial accident. And they are deploying flawed, flawed technology to do it. If you are using remote operated, then you're going to kill someone. Um, if you're using AI, again, you're going to kill someone. Hmm. I won't harp on too much on this one because you've sure? heard me before. But it, I, it's great that they are demanding that it's tightened up. I'm just still worried about the delusion. I think the hype cycle is mostly passed on this. Uh, so it's like step here. I'm sad to hear the electric car subscription firm Onto is entered uh, administration. The reasons are quite interesting. I mean, the key reason up front is that the key financial backer, LNG, or legal in general, have pulled out. Well, the aim of Onto, by the way, was that you got a flexible lease on an EV. It included most charging, most possible charging. There was no upfront deposit and things like insurance and tax that could all be rolled into one monthly subscription fee. Which is what most people want. Yeah. Some of you may remember that Hubner Ian Seabrook, they had a 500E for a little while at the start of the year uh, via Onto, and they did a whole whole thing on how that worked. It was interesting. It looked like a really good little system. Onto held a stock of 7,000 vehicles. Uh, they had Fiat 500s, Tesla Model 3s, uh, Volkswagen 93s, and had about 20,000 customers, which isn't bad. That seems real. Mm. 20,000 customers. Proper and grown up. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really quite a, a sort of desirable little little setup, but they've been hit by a couple of things. Uh, one of them is rising costs of the charging and that kind of stuff. The other one was the uh, falling residual values of its EVs, and that that was really it. I think that's kind of what pushed LNG and and probably scared them. Uh, they'd also been hit by rising interest rates, falling disposable income, all the other stuff which was just making it hard for them to raise funding, sadly. They seemed like a nice, good company. Yeah. They're just right idea, just wrong uh, wrong economic environment right at the second. It was probably the right economic environment when they started. Mm. But then I was looking at my mortgage interest rates last night when I was totting some stuff up, and it was just like, yeah, well, mm -hmm. you can see where everybody's money's gone. I think one of the interesting points here, by the way, is that fall in residual values of electric cars. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about the cost of new cars, mm. new EVs, uh, and how high they are. And the thing is that people in the used market just do not see the same high value. People look at it and go, well, that's a family-sized hatchback for £32,000 new. And then when it comes, by the time it's six months, a year old, they do not still see that as a £20,000 car. They see that as a 19000 £18,000, £19,000 car. Yeah. I mean, that's going to get worse because, you know, the starter cars, you yeah. go for something Fiesta-sized yeah. in the A segment. But not a Fiesta anymore. Well, not a and Fiesta a B, anymore. And it's a B segment, and, and, yeah. and, and its competitor, if you go electric, is forty grand. It's not. People just go, no. Exactly. It, it, by the way, I'd also point out this is a bigger issue in the UK where residuals fall like a stone compared to, say, mainland Europe, right? where used car values are significantly higher, and over here, are significantly higher than in the UK. Uh, this, is, this may be a, a particularly UK challenge. 
which might not be echoed elsewhere. You were also explaining to me before about the different options of financing a vehicle and how, what difference that made as well. Well, that's true. You see, because, and that might be part of it, is it's not so bad. This drop in value might not be so bad if you're already on a PCP and you have a guaranteed future value. Not for you. The company who's guaranteed it. Oh, the company here. The company who's guaranteed. Well, here it's, it's leasing. But yes, lots of finance companies who provide PCP deals. That is going to hit them when the time comes. Because you're going to get to the end of your PCP and the trading value you're going to be offered by others is going to be much, much lower than the guaranteed future value. Well, if you trade in against the same brand, you can normally use the GFV as your trade-in value for the next one. So that's what that's how people do it, where they, they start with a small deposit, pay their monthly, 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 monthly for two, three years, and then swap into another new German brand, another new car of the same German brand, do it again, 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 again. And that's how people do have that rolling of new German brand vehicles on the on their persimmon or David Wilson home driveway. Obviously, this is going to hit the finance companies. So the finance companies are going to get rounded by putting up all the prices of new ones. Yep. So PCPs aren't going to be the same £350 a month for a Golf R anymore. No. Partly because there isn't a Golf R. Or equivalent. But it also, if the company whose car you've got has decided they're going to wildly change prices whenever they fancy it, mm. that doesn't help. No, no, it doesn't. This is a real shame because it did, did seem like they were a proper company trying to do something a bit different, but something that's, that seemed like an ideal fit for a lot of people. Yes, it did. It did. Well, hopefully it will be back in some new way, shape or form with lessons learned, etc. Yeah. Right, to round out the first part, I'm going to finish with some good news, and that is that... Is, is it? <laughs> well, there's more charges being put in, and this yeah, time at village hotels in the UK. As long as you've got a, a subscription to this, Ionity are the ones who are going to provide the charging at these locations. They are going to be open to not just those who are members of village uh, hotel gyms, but to the public. And you can take advantage of the Starbucks and things like that that they have in these places anyway, whilst you're charging at the 350 kilowatt of power, hopefully. ka -ching. Conditions apply, environmental and other. <laughs> Environmental and financial conditions apply. But it's good. More charges. We need them. I'm not sure where all the village hotels are, but more of that can only be a good thing. Anyway, I think that that finally, having gone through and offended most of the UK population, takes us to Guilt Minute. Uh, a quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the Motoring Podcast worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of Patreon include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a, a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Really, really appreciate it. New New Car News, Alan, do you want to take us to the Smart Hash 3? Yes, the new Smart Hash 3 has been revealed, and it looks like a generic AI SUV. <laughs> uh, that is to say, not offensive, but not inoffensive. It's perfectly either. pleasant. It's perfectly nice looking. Somebody seems to have swapped in the wheels from a Maybach, Maybach. <laughs> Uh, onto it, which are nice. I've I've always quite liked those wheels. It's it's very nice. It's just not. I don't know. It's. I don't think the color helps. It's my back at the bottom. Yeah, sort of metallic beige is not great. My back wheels. It seems to have stolen the the glass house from a an EQS, and then sort of Gennaro Chinese SUV frontage, um, which is is fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. According to the design language, which is shared with the Hash One, it retains features like a rounded shark nose front end, slim LED headlights, and an A-shaped grille. Uh, it is, of course, being a three, it is bigger than a one. Good. That's helpful. <laughs> it's uh, 4.4 meters long. It is 1844 millimeters wide. That makes it about four inches longer 
and uh, six inches wider than the number one. Inside, it's pretty much the same. That's a really high transmission tunnel that has no transmission. Yes. I'm sure it does something useful, though, like hold battery or something, maybe. Because all of them come with a 66 kilowatt hour battery. There are Pro Plus Premium and 25th Anniversary Editions, and they all have a, the, the same powertrain, which is an electric motor in the rear axle, develops a 268 brake horsepower, uh, which is a reasonable, uh, if not slightly spicy number. 0 to 62 in 5.8 seconds, top speed of 112 miles an hour, and, they, and in theory should manage 282 miles on the charge and can be recharged at up to 150 kilowatt hours. Those are all perfectly good, decent numbers, I feel. The Brabus model, however, if you do need to get to 0-62 quicker than that, uh, will have an extra motor in the front axle, meaning 422 horsepower is available. Uh, still limited to 112 miles an hour, but it will sprint to 62 miles an hour in just 3.7 seconds, which is what you need in your family size SUV. Price of enemy confirmed for Germany, where they start at 43,490 euros for the base Pro Plus. It launched towards the end of 2023 there, and in the UK, it should come in the first few months of 2024. Well, I heard a lot of good things about the one, the Hash One, so when I, it was actually. launched. Maybe we get more options of a decent. Yeah, you know, so people seem to be getting their grubby mitts on them as well. Yeah. Uh, for a week at a time, and they seem to be saying good things there as well. I'm going to take us to Persia now. Mm-hmm. And the 3008, sorry, I have to try and remember how to name it. I always it's get that the wrong. E3008. Yeah, the E3008. So this is their electric only version. And this comes with a jeez, oh, coupe crossover look. Oh, God. You, you were actually right there, by the way. It is the 3008. It's just that the first version available will be the E3008. Okay. So, unfortunately, they've gone down the coupe crossover look. Tedious. But there will be a battery of up to 98 kilowatts per hour, um, which will give a range of, it is claimed, 435 miles, which is impressive. Mm. The exterior, disregarding the coupe bit, looks pretty good. Was this not the one that we said looked just like the Renault sketches? Uh, No, the Renault looks just like the Peugeot, doesn't it? I've actually forgotten. There's so much interplay between the two now, I've forgotten. Um, but anyway, I think it was the Scenic was the last Renault that looks like a Peugeot. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, it's the Scenic that does look like the Peugeot. So here's a Peugeot that looks like a Peugeot. And they're playing heavily on the three claw marks, etc. Uh, and it's got quite a funky grill. The interior, though, looks really nice. And mm. we're both big fans of the inside of new Peugeots at the moment. Yes. And we've I had a 5008, you had a 3008 in the mm. uh, internal combustion engine guys, and mm. both w- of us were really impressed with the inside. This looks like it is continuing on from that front, yeah. although there are many screens. And oh, there's always going to be many screens. I think we've just got to live with it, although we don't like it. They're on that central bit that rises up, and then there's some haptic shizzle. <sighs> well, so we'll have to wait till we try that to find out whether that's any good. Peugeot has doubled the number of shortcut iToggle haptic pads to 10, which you can program your favourite settings, such as cabin temperature and fan speed on the climate switch. Switching off the haptic thing, is that one of the options? <laughs> no, sadly not. Six muted paint colours are available. Ooh. Muted paint colours. It's going to be a, a touch wider than the current model. It's going to be a touch longer, but that's all to make space for the batteries. Also going to be less practical because of that stupid hatch yes why do that to a family car i don't get it i really don't i don't get it at all uh such a shame because i reckon this could be a really cracking vehicle i'm just trying to find some hint at prices which i don't think we have been given Uh, i can see no hint at prices no hint at prices i'm guessing it's north of 40 grand must be yeah uh, easy and probably nudging towards 50 because electric yeah i would say so but we'll update you when we get more information on that uk delivery spring 2024 oh yeah i forgot to say that there will be a mild hybrid and a plug-in hybrid version as well yes next new electric suv <sighs> is the fiat 600e which at least looks like a 
be it. Well, it doesn't look like AI have designed it anyway. It doesn't. It is the most... Uh, so, you know, Fiat have tried quite a few variants of the, let's uh, get a Fiat 500, stick a straw up its bottom and inflate it. Uh, this is by far the most successful, I feel. It looks the most accomplished of any of those versions, yes. It absolutely does, and resolved, and all the other good things that we want from vehicle design. Although some people will complain about the fake third window on the in, on the side. And the eyelid. I don't mind the eyelid. So this, obviously, it's a Fiat 600e. That means it's bigger than a 500e. It is a five-door small SUV hatch thing. I think it's closer to hatch than SUV. Let's give it the credit there. It shares its underneathies with things like the Jeep Avenger, the Vauxhall Mocha, the E2080 stuff, uh, whatever the Citroen equivalent of that is, and all of the same old Stellantis stuff. This, however, is definitely one of the more attractive ones, and it is also the cheapest one. Entry-level models will start from just £32,995 on the road, but that is almost £3,000 less than the European Car of the Year entry-level Jeep Avenger. There will be two models available, the Fiat 500e Red, I have no idea if it's only available in red, but who knows, and the range-tropping 600e La Prima. Oh, the former will be red, because it comes with a collaboration with a charity founded by U2 frontman Bono. It will be decorated in crimson accents. Uh, I believe that this is not available in grey, though, which is also good. No, it can't be, can it? Uh, but also, when you're talking about the prices there, yeah, their top of the range, La Prima, is thirty six thousand nine hundred ninety five, which sounds spicy, yes, but that's less than the Mocha. Yeah, still less than the Mocha electric. Uh, it looks to me like Mocha's uh, Mocha Vauxhall even has been really stitched up in Stellantis land. Yeah, you're fine because they that. seem to have the most expensive versions yeah. Vauxhall and Opel, of the yeah. rebadged, rebodied vehicles across the range is this one of these times where they say well good to move the brand up market so it doesn't matter if it doesn't sell as much that's a classic thing that but without telling just anyone before that's what they're trying to do yeah that, that's a classic that happens just before brands get shut down MG yeah. Rover. yeah but top level trim here will get you 18 inch alloys chrome accents if you like that kind of thing a heated synthetic uh, pleather seats Built-in satna, powered boot lids adaptive cruise blind spot monitoring reversing cameras blah 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 and it's going to be lots and lots of fun colors. What do we get in terms of actual stuff? 51 kilowatt hour uh, usable battery pack, 154 brake horsepower electric uh, motor, should provide a range of up to 249 miles in WLTP, and 375 miles in low-speed urban environments. Yeah, From our experience of the 600E sister cars, you can expect a real-world range of just over 200 miles. Not 62, 9 seconds. Charging up to 100 kilowatt hour, 10 to 80 percent in less than half an hour. That all sounds like a very sensible car, which is actually quite attractive inside and out. That's the one to go for in the range if that's what you're looking at. I would say so. It's the one that I would. I mean, I might prefer the look of the Peugeot, but uh, or the Avenger, or the Avenger, yeah. But in Corby, there's a good Fiat dealer nearby. Okay. That would push it. You were very generous to Halfords and the quality of the stuff that they flogging their stick-on aisle earlier on. Why not tell us about the Volkswagen ID.X performance concept? The Super Saloon with 558 brake horsepower <laughs> is what Autocar are uh, titling this article that's linked in the show notes. It's an ID.7 concept which envisions a racy four-wheel drive rival to the Tesla Model 3 performance. But why you would bother, I have no idea. Now, the ID.7 is one of the dullest cars I have seen in recent memory. Mm. And what they have effectively done is slap some stuff on it, like a wing and a splitter, and pretend that the rear diffuser thingy makes any difference whatsoever. Over here in the US of A, Freedom, etc., they sell Toyota Camry. There's a lot of Toyota Camrys. One of the variants that they sell of the Toyota Camry is a TRD Camry. It has a silly splitter, silly side skirts, a silly exhaust, silly back like this, silly wing. But you know what? It's still a boring Camry. 
And that's what's happened here. It's like, th- this looks like it has already, it's all prepped to be uh, a Volkswagen owner's show in three years' time, where someone has gone out and bought a Passat or something equally generic in the past, slapped some carbon fibery sh- stuff on it, some nice wheels, because these are very nice wheels on this concept, by the yep, way. Yep, I do like the wheels. I'll give them that. Some nice wheels, a big wing, a matte wrap in black and gray, and brought it out and gone, look at my interesting car. And I'm sorry, it's not. It's still very boring. I should like this. This is one of these cars that I should like. I should like the idea behind it. And I just look at it and go, meh. I don't know what it is. I'm just beyond it. No, because it's it, it's trying so, so hard. It's like they go, hey, we're funky. Look at us. And it's I know. just awful. Have you seen the seats? Have you seen the interior picture? Look at the side seats. They look like they will be a oh, yeah, nightmare yeah, yeah. Oh, to get God. in and out of. Yes, I've just looked at the bolstering on that. I mean, don't don't have wide hips, everyone. It looks like sitting in Johnny Yaris, actually. I mean, they're very cool, but oh, come on. Should we move on from that? Because I'm just not. You know, One for you, Alan. Here we are. Let's Let's take us to the US of the A's. Well, Jeep is going to bring out a competitor for the Land Rover Defender. No, Defender Defender. Oh, sorry, pardon me. I know that's. I know it's what Autocar have done, and Autocar must have got a telling off. I'm sure they got a telling off. I did actually write these out recently, and, and the, there is the silliness of all of this. It means you have a Defender Defender, a Range Rover, a Range Rover. Jeep will take on the Defender Defender with its uh, nearly 600 horsepower Jeep Recon electric off-roader. Uh, so it's going to sit alongside the, the Wrangler, but it is a bit more enclosed and a bit less modular i would say uh it will launch in 2025 a range around 373 miles unofficial electric sibling to the wrangler wrangler over here by the way you can get with a plug-in hybrid which is incredibly Mm. popular around here and quite messes with your head when you see them moving silently around car parks with only the rumble of off-road tire roll it's going to have the same underpinnings as the wagoneer s and it's essentially a scaled-up Jeep Avenger, and it will be sold in the UK. The pictures that Autocar is showing here show include showing it with the doors off in true Wrangler in the summer fashion, uh, which is very cool. Well, to be fair, they look like they've just been stolen. It, they do look like they've been stolen. It, like, it's it especially yeah, they do look like they've been stolen. It looks like it's been abandoned in a quarry, and yeah. someone's nicked the doors. And Matt's off-road recovery will be along shortly to tow it out. Where was I going with this? Yes, technical details, not very many have been released, but they're expecting a 0 to 60 miles an hour time of 3.5 seconds. Goodness, that's relevant. Why? Yeah. Don't do uh, that. We've got here, you really don't here in the US, uh, once all the strikes have stopped, uh, released here first, a recon will be offered and positioned as a raw take on off-road Jeeps of old, with options including removable doors and an open-top design per the Wrangler, which is a very, very popular way of driving around here when it's not peeing rain. Well, JLR are going to get caught out again, aren't oh, big they? Time. Because this is this will come to the UK yeah, before, yeah, before they've done. JLR release the electric Defender Defender. Yes, but it's, you don't take your Chanel handbag off-road. It's not meant for that. Goodness sakes. Uh, the recon in Europe will be a white space car, says Antonella Bruno, Jeep's European boss. It's a unique car, very boxy, very capable, sitting in the lower part of the market segment to the Wrangler. I think it looks like a proper Jeep. I think it looks cool. I think it looks fun. I don't think it needs 600 horsepower. No, it doesn't need 600 horsepower. It doesn't need to get 0-60 then. Just increase the mileage or make that 373 miles real. Exactly. Which Stellantis have struggled with looking at reviews. This is true. We just covered it when we were talking about 500G. It's funny that we go from one end to one end of the scale to the other just there. Anyway, Andrew. E-Legend, which is a German firm. And uh, it's been a while since we've had a bit of one of these ridiculous poster concept cars. But here is the EL1, which is effectively an electric homage to the Audi Sport Quattro. I think it looks pretty cool. We've seen this sort of stuff being done before. Um, they reckon it's going to get, talking of ridiculous times, it's going to get from 0 to 62 in it 2.8 seconds because it's going to have 805 brake horsepower. And then 124 mile an hour will be reached just 4.7 seconds later, according to this Evo magazine article. Top speed of 186. It's nearly 1800 kilograms, so that's not very light. 
as electric. Big Again, battery. I go back to it looks really cool. Oh, asking price. Yes. Oh, there's an asking price. Okay. Oh, there. It's going to be hand built. Already we're going quite mm. heavy. 890,000 euros excluding taxes. Okay. We'll never see one, but I'm glad somebody's doing it. Okay. Let's move to points of interest. Let's. First one, I've just made fun of Audi, but whenever Audi was still innovative and interesting, the obviously along came the Audi TT, a car to come and enjoy hundreds of thousands of mood boards in, in designers' workshops, ateliers, and and to be perfectly honest, in my case, um, art schools across. Oh, also, also, if you were doing a um, a visualization of how this executive home would look, you had to throw a TT yeah, absolutely, in there. and that was it. Every every flipping mood board for about two years. Once the Audi TT came out, because it came out just when I was moving into like the second, third year of of, um, of university, and everything, even before it was out, even just the concept car was appearing on mood boards and like, yeah, yeah, we wanted to be like this. This was the style that everybody wanted for all of their products. It didn't matter what it was. It could be an insulin injector for a one-armed kid. I just all these horrible cynical things that people come up with at art school to try and gain as many you get it as niche as possible so you can gain as many as many inclusivity bonus points as you possibly could and there's at least a couple of people who are in my mind for having done that a lot but it didn't matter if it was if it was that nebulizer something really medical there was always an Audi TT on the mood board and there's a great article on Haggerty uh, it's by American journalist Tim Stevens and talking about just how it came about from its original sketch in the corner of a piece of paper to a concept to appearing in Mission Impossible films and all sorts of things, and then the evolution of the form from something that started, uh, not from going out and asking people what they wanted, but just actually making it, which is very cool. Seems to be something that has, has pretty much died off these days. Really worth, well, five minutes of your time. Uh, read that about how the DTT went from doodle to design icon. Brilliant stuff. Yep. Okay, I'm going to move us on to the list of the week. And this is from Move Electric. And the title is The First Electric Car Ever Made by Every Car Maker. Alan, there are 32 slides that work that you're able to select from. Can you narrow it down to just one choice? I can. I'm going to choose the Hyundai Blue On. Can you describe for the listeners what that is? It's an early Hyundai i10 city car. It was unveiled at the Frankfurt Show in 2009, and uh, they made less than 250 of them. Uh, it was supplied to several South Korean government agencies, never sold to the public. It is underwheeled. It is blobby. It is completely the opposite of any of Hyundai's EV offerings now. Yeah. And it just shows how quickly things have changed since about 2009. But a great way to test the proof of concept by giving it to the government. I think it means that you well, get away sold. But. Well, no, I think I'm sure it's a good way of finding all the finding all the flaws and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what a great way to do it. Well, yeah. Any for you cuz there are 32 there. Yes, the Nissan Tama. Oh, okay. I missed that one. Is that that's very Oh, it's very old, isn't it? It's it's, it's very it very is old. It's very old. You can see the battery Ooh. pack poking down from underneath. It is a what is it? A 19 It looks 1947. It was built built by the Tokyo Electro Automobile Company. Mm-hmm. It had a top speed of 22 mile an hour and a range of 40 miles. Absolutely would beat an Ami in a drag race. Yeah, probably. Uh well, I don't know to be honest. Uh, it certainly got looks. Probably doesn't fall on its roof if you go around Monte Carlo mm, hairpins. I think it? it's just more like to understeer into the barrier. To be perfectly honest, looking at it, there's lots of stuff. By the way, the Tama's not nearly the oldest one uh, in in this lineup, no. um, and some far far newer than that. So. I think this just looks so cute. It's, it's a great list, by the way. It's it's and really informative. So n- nice one. Thanks, Move Electric. That's really good. Yep. And finally, this week falls to me. And we normally try and keep our hand finally into something uh, a little bit light, possibly a little bit silly if we can find it. And generally, it's one of the hardest slots to fill in the show every week to find something which, which gets the right balance. This week, we're going something a little bit different. 
that was meant to be a big Mazda uh, event taking place in the Atlas Mountains. Right now, to be honest, uh, every year Mazda does an, an epic drive. They've driven across Scandinavia, they've driven across Europe, they've done. They've driven the length of the UK, they've, they've covered all sorts of stuff. And it was meant to be 1,100 kilometers in 36 hours through the Atlas Mountains, driving a range of, of Mazda vehicles. Mazda UK PR team were there. They were all ready to welcome folk uh, the next day. But just after 11 p.m. last Friday night, there was, of course, that significant major earthquake. Obviously, first things first, uh, is everyone okay? And yes, they were. So that's great. Uh, it meant canceling the event. Uh, the PR team were already on the ground. And they thought, well, what can we do to help out? We've got all these supplies. What can we do about it? And so they, um, with a paramedic who was already there for the event and all sorts of bits and pieces, loads of water and all sorts of stuff like that, headed up uh, into the mountains towards where they're going. There's a really nice piece by Jim McGill. That's not the Fiat Jim McGill. It's it's motoring journalist Jim McGill, who's who's a, a lovely chap as well. On the Guild of Motoring Writers uh, website, uh, after he chatted to Graham Fudge, who's the PR director at Mazda UK, have a bit of a read. It's very interesting. It's just really nice, and I, I want to say just well done to. It doesn't really surprise me that that one of the the UK manufactured PR teams would just turn around and do this. And they're not doing it for the PR. They're not doing it for for us to tell everybody about it. They would have done it without so Jim no. chatting about it. Yeah. Um, it's just the right thing to do. I imagine they're thoroughly embarrassed by the coverage they're getting for Probably, it. Probably, because the PR people just aren't meant to be the, the story. Thing to, the, the right thing to do when you're there. You just go, well, of course, we'll go try and help. Go over to the Guild of Motoring Writers website, have a little bit of a read of the story it is very different from anything we normally cover but it is it is really interesting and, and quite touching and just learning about what happened there firsthand from people who who happened to be on the site to to be on site at, at the time and, and doing what they could please have a little bit of a read of that one is that it for just now yes yes then, everyone, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts on the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page at motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon. Please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is to search on Twitter or Mastodon for Crack Windscreen. You should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to speak to you personally, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, any of the mature social media sites, I guess, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.